0: Hey everybody, I'm Larry Little, and you're listening to Crossing the Line, a podcast where I talk with people about the moments in their life where they chose to cross the line from leading with their head to leading with their hearts. We don't talk about leadership on this show, we talk about leaders, and what is it that, that made them who they are today? Today, I'm having a conversation with John Watson, the CEO of a large aerospace Intel company. We're gonna talk a little bit about that vulnerability of how he leads he's a turtle so you want to lean into this with tons of wisdom today lots of nuggets so let's jump into that conversation now so today we are talking with john watson he is the president and ceo of torch technologies it's a global international engineering services and solutions organization He leads uh, over 1,100 people, and uh, John's been doing this a long time. He has an incredible storied history of uh, uh, of positions that he's held, and he has worked for years uh, to provide safety for our country, literally working with our military and the different divisions, and is an incredibly uh, respected leader in his field and, and, uh, not only in aerospace, but in engineering as well, uh, and has served in, on various boards and, and, uh, he, he continues to give back, uh, and, and where he lives and continues to, to work with, with the state and, uh, and, 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 other arenas. He's received numerous awards and, uh, uh, and, you know, I think, uh, maybe, maybe the, one of the most important John is that you were the, uh, Outstanding, one of the outstanding students to graduate. I think uh, you, you were given that that uh, that recognition from, uh, from. Was that from Auburn? From Auburn yep. University? Yep. So uh, that's awesome, John. Thank you for doing this. Thank you for for being here today. Um, you are here because this podcast is about crossing the line. It's about leaders who understand the importance of not only leading from their head. But leading from their heart and understanding how to cross that line back and forth, uh, that it takes both to be an effective leader. So, John Watson, thank you for joining us today.
1: A pleasure to be here.
0: You need to know that John is a turtle. That means that he processes things internally. He thinks about things. But you're going to get some really deep, good leadership nuggets from today's podcast. So, so stay tuned for that. If you want to understand more about what it means to be a turtle or a monkey or a camel or a lion, just check out the link in the show notes below. All of those things in your, in your resume, it's amazing to me what a, what a leader you are. Uh, and, and, but today I don't want to talk about uh, those accomplishments so much. Uh, what I want to talk about is you. So I want us to, to, to get a glimpse of what it, is it that um, has allowed you to to be the leader that you are? What is it that makes you tick? So let's go back, if you will, and tell us just a little bit about what made John Watson John Watson in terms of growing up. Go back to, to your childhood farming. Where did you grow up and what was it like growing up in your home?
1: Uh, well, I, I grew up down in South Alabama in a uh, farming community. And uh, I was very fortunate. I had uh, all my extended family close to me, and so, had a lot of great examples uh, in my family members uh, growing up. My grandfather was a well-respected sheriff in the adjoining county, and uh, right next to my maternal grandmother, and she had a, a real you know, big personality, but had suffered a lot of hardships and really had a, a good attitude. So um, anyway, the, them and a lot of the other uh, part of my extended family in that area was just a, really a, a great area to grow up in and. Uh, and since we were, you know, in a farming community, of course, uh, you know, everybody was expected to work. And, uh, you know, that, that was from the time I was eight years old on. I mean, I was led down to the hog parlor and uh, became uh, my first job as president of John Watson, senior uh, hog operations. So uh, <laughs> I would hitting uh, the pig pens every day. Uh, and, and that certainly motivates you wanting to go on and get a degree and do something better in life.
0: Now, John, I have to ask you, um, you. You said your grandfather was a sheriff, right?
1: That's right.
0: Now, you didn't have any run-ins with the uh, with the law down there in the in South Alabama, did you?
1: No, fortunately not, because my uncle was the judge, so we were, <laughs> and he threw the book at anybody. So,
0: oh, that's that's amazing. That's that's awesome. Uh, now, eight years old. So, eight years old. You're at the farm. Give me a day in the life of John, uh, eight-year-old John, on the farm.
1: Oh, well, yeah, we, of course, uh, you know, every day after school, uh, we would have to, I'd have to go down to the hog, uh, to the pig pens, and uh, it r- roughly would take about an hour, hour, and a half to wash out all the pens. And then, you know, sometimes we had a uh, milk cow, then you'd have to go feed the milk cow and, and move her, you know, into her pen to be milked the next morning. Um, so, you know, you'd get off the school bus at 3.30, and you typically would go to about five in, o'clock um, in the afternoon with your chores, and then, you, you know, shower up and get ready for dinner.
0: So what about your parents? Uh, t- tell me a bit about what did they instill in you as, as a young child growing up in South Alabama, uh, give us a little insight on to, to who they, into who they are.
1: Uh, well, um, my father was extremely hardworking and, uh, he was, um, you know, always, uh, you know, serially taking on some new project, um, and that either, you know, either the pig farming was one of the operations he took on. He, uh, in addition to his full-time job, sometimes uh, he would do pulp wooding uh, or house renovations or, or or just, you know, buying equipment and turning it, uh, you know, be able to try to make a little bit of profit on it. So he always had some kind of project going uh, and always, um, you know, was dreaming about the next one, um, uh, hoping one day he he, he he might hit the big one yeah um, my mother was uh, she was just um, a very you know sweet and steady individual um, so um, you know everybody loved her and she uh, had a great sense of humor like my, grand- my maternal grandmother as well too so uh, uh, and they were a very tight couple growing up so it was uh, it, it was they, they made for a very good uh, you know household so I had i probably credit that you know, uh, to anything as much as anything but you know giving that st- stable base to start with. And then, uh, you know, also kind of showing you, um, teaching you how to work. Uh, And uh, he always had a saying, you know, he'd say that if um, work was supposed to be fun, it'd be like Disney World and you'd have to pay to go in. And so so I I like to repeat that to some of my employees sometime as well. Don't
0: miss the traits that John acquired as a child uh, to to become a hard worker, uh, to be steady, consistent, uh, to use humor he got he got both of the he got those traits from his mom and his dad so don't miss that hard-working steady humor also the expectation that work is going to be hard and life is not going to be always fun that Disney World quote uh, is worth going back and listening to and in uh, writing down setting those appropriate expectations for our life critical to great leadership so you had to um, have instilled in you a work ethic, um, growing up on a farm? How, how did, uh, how, how did your, what did your dad or mom do to instill that work ethic in you? Uh,
1: well, I think, um, just, uh, lead by example. I mean, I, I, I never could outwork my dad. I mean, he, he, um, you know, he was always, uh, it was amazing how much he would get accomplished in a day's time. Uh, so, um, you know, when he sat me off to do, uh, a, a task, I would, certainly tried to do something that, uh, that would measure up to his standards. So, uh, I think mainly what kind of instilled that was, uh, you know, always a, a desire to want to satisfy mm. you know, your uh, parents and also have just a great example to follow.
0: Yeah. And he had a quote, uh, didn't he, that, that he used to say,
1: yeah, no, he did. He, he, um, uh, used to tell us all, that
0: that quote you know, was...
1: all days. Weren't necessarily going to be good. And that, you know, basically that, uh, you know, if work's supposed to be fun all the time, it'd be like Disney World, and you'd have to pay to get in versus getting paid.
0: <laughs> I love it. That's a great word for us all. Uh, so so you you were, uh, did, did you ride the school bus to school? Is that right? Did you get on the bus and go to school?
1: That's correct, yep. Uh, we lived roughly about six miles from where we went to school at, out in this little community. So uh, we would uh, get, get up and catch the school bus a little bit, 4-8 every day, and we'd uh, typically make it home by about 3.30.
0: So what about as you went through your, your middle school years now you're you're in high school were you an athlete did you play sports or not so much you were you know technically driven what what who no, were actually you?
1: yeah I did I played um, I played mainly football and also played a little bit of baseball but we uh, uh, we started um, uh, our, our team that we had in our little community um, in the little town that I went to school at uh, never had a very good football uh, program until um, about the time I was um, uh, that hit high school and what one thing that really led to us being competitive with other schools is the other ones had um you know the little peewee uh teams you know the inter- intramural teams that would feed into the high school teams and so we actually started uh, that up uh when i was 10 years old they started that league up uh for the 10 11 and 12 year olds uh and uh, so i started playing when i was 10 years old and, and continued to progress uh all the way through, uh, from um, you know, from uh, from the Pee Wee League all the way through high school, and it actually turned out I was um, last year in high school I was uh, did make All State as a defensive uh, back. Uh, we were actually the last three years we were 27 and three as a football team. So, uh,
0: that's, we, that's incredible.
1: Yeah, well, we it, I tell you, really having that feeder program that you know played into it made all the difference in the world. We had never finished over 500 um, prior to that time Wow
0: John tell us go, go back to those days where you're you're playing peewee and then on into to, to high school ball and and obviously you're a, a gifted athlete but I know that also came with a lot of a lot of hard work and discipline what are some of the things the characteristics that now as you look back that were developed during that time in in you
1: well you know I think um, one of the uh, things I even uh, like to look back on um, is the fact that uh, I think it really teaches you tenacity. Um, mm. And the fact that um, the scoreboard's not always what dictates if you're a winner or not. And, and one specific instance comes back my senior year, um, we were actually ranked number but the, when this was a small high school. We were in 1A, uh, you know, 1A category. But we were actually had ranked, um, ranked number one in the state at that point in time, and we were playing the number two ranked team. And it, it actually, I don't know if you followed, followed it back in the day, but Montgomery Advertiser used to have high school game of the week, yeah. and um, that was kind of like playing in the Iron Bowl if you were in, in high school. And we had actually got designated for for that, uh, you know, honor that given week. And and I can remember early that week, um, you know, on offense I was running back and uh, defensive back. And I was, um, you know, I really had a tendency sometimes to uh, overthink and get myself nearly psyched out of the game before we even got to the game uh, that, you know, you really, as a running back, you need to be able to react better than just act. And too many times I would try to script my actions out before we got to the game in preparation. And the reality of it is you need to just be able to react to whatever the defense, you know, was providing for you. So about... Early that week, I decided I was not going to allow myself to do that, and I was just going to get out there and just do the best I can. And really, came I came to peace with all that. I really, mm-hmm. you know, calmed all the all the butterflies. And I went out there and and I had probably the best I had the best game of my career that night. We we ended up losing, but the following Thursday, when the paper came out, they were talking about um, uh, I guess the local sports writer was talking about that. Even though we lost the game. And he talked. He called me out and said that you know I never quit uh, playing, um, you know, uh, and uh, till ball game was all over with, and he said that's the sign of a true winner.
0: Tenacity, the ability to do your best regardless of the outcome, and then do it again and again and again. Great stuff from John.
1: And so wow. that, that just um, really provided me inspiration going on and. I don't know how many of my reviews to, um, in the professional life that Tenacious came up that, you know, just because you get knocked down to the floor a couple of times doesn't mean that you give up. You know, you just kind of keep on pushing on and it and is how you finish the game is important. And it's not necessarily if you, you know, if you achieve it the first time out or not.
0: Wow, John, what what a leadership moment that is! So even though you guys lost the game, your tenacity and and you had to that didn't just happen. You prepared for that. You said you thought about it. You 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 decided the week before that you were going to um, lead differently, play differently, and uh, wow, it worked. E- even though the score, the outcome, it's not always what we want it to be. Uh, what a what a leadership trait that was developed or or at least solidified i guess in your heart in your soul that that day right so so now through high school were you the uh were you the jock were you the athlete who are you oh
1: uh, well I, I was actually the athlete scholar i was valedictorian uh, oh but but yeah keep this in mind larry i graduated in school of 56 we had a great football team but we didn't have a real strong academic record i mean i think out of our 56 students I can only confirm three of us went to college. So uh, you know, we were, you know, certainly way behind in terms of our preparation going off to college. but uh, uh, but you know, I had a, a, a few uh, good teachers along the way and really uh, you know capture some of the you know the principal pillars that you need to, as as a foundation to get started. I
0: just love John's humility. I mean, valedictorian, star athlete, and here he is. You know, saying, hey, I graduated from a small school. It's not that big a deal. And besides that, the teachers really equipped us well. You just got to love that type of uh, servant leadership, humility kind of attitude that John has every day. Wow. So you had that balance, it sounds like, from the, uh, you know, from 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 the very beginning. So, so when you were, were finishing up your high school, you had aspirations to do what? What did you want to do out of high school?
1: Well, of course, I wanted to play high sc- I mean, college football, but, uh, you know, when you get hurt, then you know, in, in single A football, that's not, and only weigh 156 pounds, that's not a realistic <laughs> expectations. So. Uh, but, right. um, you know, at that time, I had I subsided, I, I really didn't have, uh, you know, bear in mind, I came up in a blue collar family, and I didn't really have a, a real mindset in terms of what professional career that I wanted to attend until my senior year, I, I did, um, uh, you know, talk to uh, my uh, sister's boyfriend at the time that was in engineering. And, uh, you know, I always knew I loved math and I always knew I liked, you know, science a lot. Um, and that, uh, you know, in talking with him, um, uh, he really started advocating that I, you know, take uh, the engineering route. And um, then I saw in the paper about that point in time where somebody uh, had, uh, you know, uh, you know achieved the vice president position the TVA or something that, that Come from the local area that had been an engineer, so those those kind of that kind of set me on the path of thinking well, engineering is probably the right thing. I, I, you know, everybody always thinks they're going to be a lawyer or a doctor at some point in time, but really, kind of reasoning through, uh, you know, what that would involve, I felt like engineering would be a better fit for you know why I wanted in terms of my lifestyle.
0: So, so then you went to you went to Auburn, is that right?
1: That's correct. Oh. Mm-hmm. Yeah, is I that went, I went straight in from I did take a few. I was also got pre-enrolled for some college classes, you know, through junior college. I'd go summers while I was in high school, but, uh, so I had a few hours under my belt, but I went straight off to Auburn my freshman year.
0: And is that where you met your wife or, or no?
1: Well, uh, actually, um, no, i not, you know, my wife, first wife I had, she was a high school sweetheart, followed me up there. Oh, wow. Yeah. And, um, uh, so, but, um, that, um, so anyway, we were, uh, you know, got married while we were uh, last year up in college there. Uh, but, um, you know, we, we've been divorced for a long time and uh, my current wife, I met, uh, you know, three, or four years after that divorce.
0: My goodness. Mm-hmm. So, so this, this thing, John helped me to, to, to qualify this, quantify this, if you will, Tenacity. Mm-hmm continue to press forward. And you've had some hard times. I mean, you've gone through Mm -hmm. some relationship struggles back then and, and it's, we all have, Oh yeah, we all have difficulties. Uh, What is it that has allowed you to uh, be tenacious with that, even from the people side, even from investing in those you care about and continuing to invest in your team and that kind of thing. Uh, Give us some examples of how you've had to, if you don't mind, Mm -hmm. just from a personal perspective, some of the obstacles that you have faced, um, in this journey of leadership that you're on?
1: I'd say probably the most difficult period I ever faced was about the time I turned 40. Uh, you know, at that point in time, you know, that, that had the dissolution of my first marriage. And at the same time, uh, the company I'd worked with, uh, for a long time, um, uh, sold. And all of a sudden, um, and, you know, I was in a situation where that piece of business that I was running, um, that had a you know they had conflicts of interest and was, was really spiraling downward.
0: So John is doing something that is very difficult for uh, a turtle uh, and uh, really anybody, but especially a turtle, or leader. He's sh- being vulnerable. He's sharing um, his personal um, struggles and and how that applied to his life and relationship. So uh, once again, just another example of a servant leader being willing to share his difficulties, and uh, make sure you 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 lean in here because he's going to tell you what he did to overcome that. I really appreciate his vulnerability and transparency here.
1: Um, so it was uh, a difficult, both personal time and professional time, all at one 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 all rolled up in and the single single time frame, and. Uh, wow. It was um you know, really challenged you to the core. And then you know, one night I just sat down and I said, you know, that that's a you know, this is um you know, you know, this is the time to, you know, prove out you know, who you you know, prove out who you are, prove out character. Um and so and you know, it was just a determination that I I was not gonna let my circumstance I was not gonna let my circumstances define me. Um, and, and define, you know, what, um, you know, how I acted, uh, that I was going to, you know, I was going to hold true to what I thought was the, uh, you know, the, the best, you know, what I wanted to be and and uh, just keep plugging at it. And, and I figured that, you know, it, 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 like any any difficult phase, it'll pass. Uh, but I wanted to make sure that, uh, you know, and I've always been a believer that it's it's a man's highs and his lows his behavior during that time really define him. And that's even in business as well, too.
0: Yes.
1: I mean, you know, you get in, you know, when you get to riding high, then you can, you can abuse relationships with, you know, other, you know, companies or, or customers. Um, and because of the fact you're riding high and you're not that dependent on them at that point in time. Uh, but I, I guarantee you that that'll flip and people remember, you know, how you acted when you had the advantage on them. When you get in that low cycle and you're needing some help, uh, so I, I think you really need to watch your behavior both when you're riding high and when you're running low. You don't don't cut corners when you're running low either. Uh, sometimes it's easy to, you know, easy to relax your standards a little bit and do some things you wouldn't normally do. But uh, I, I think you just you have to bear in mind sometimes, you know, you just have some things that are going to challenge you to the core of your character, and uh, you, you know, and in fact that. That really defines who you are in the eyes of everybody. How you act during those times—that
0: is amazing. Words of wisdom. Those are incredible words of wisdom. And so, John, a leader is she is um, she's struggling. He is struggling. Uh, Their personal life is is let's say in turmoil, um, and they're not really sure, you know, professionally what that means. Give them some some wisdom from from you. How does she face this this personal valley that she's in? This personal valley that he's in? This leader is struggling. They're in a season a debt of desert. They're 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 just uh, man. They're dry. They're thirsty. It's it's not going well. Um, what what would you what would you say to them?
1: Well, you know, first thing, just because things aren't going according to your personal plan, just bear in mind that you know God doesn't give you any guarantees. Mm. You, know, you just have to take each day as a gift and that you know just try to make the most out of it you can. I think the other thing too is 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 typically God doesn't give you any more than you can handle. And um you know if you can just slug your way through there, you know, better days will you know uh, better days will find you.
0: Those are not bad thoughts for this whole COVID-19 mess we're in. Uh, I know a lot of people have been locked up for a while and uh, I'm sure it's been difficult you know for so many people. Um, but, but to persevere, to keep going, take one day at a time, um, your personal agenda, uh, you know, God, God doesn't give a guarantee for that. That's great wisdom, John. That's, uh, uh, that, that is amazing. I don't know which was more difficult for John, asking him to talk about his, his failures or his struggles or asking him to share his, his highlights, um, or his victories, because as a humble leader, that's not a natural thing, but he gives it his best shot here. So lean in. What are some things that have brought you joy as you think about your life these last, you know, well, say so you're 39 now, right? So these last <laughs> 39 years.
1: Yeah. Well, I, I, I know that uh, probably um, one of the things that always bring me gr- greatest joy is when you surprise people um, and some of the things that you pull off. And um, I, I can uh, remember uh, early in my uh, career uh, we, I really had a really good fortune of doing some work in, um, where we were in a joint project with folks at MIT Lincoln Lab and um, and, and, and th- they were really good natured folks uh, but you know they would always kind of, uh, now this was back early and uh, my South Alabama dialect was a little bit thicker than it is these days and so they kind of gave me a little bit of a difficult time, you know, you know, in terms of, you know, the dialect mm-hmm. and, and I, and I would give it back to, I, I tell them we talked a little slower just because we think before we speak. So, uh, but um, anyway, I, um, th- there was one particular, uh, we were looking uh, at one technology there that, uh, that they thought had a lot of promise and um and, and it was basically, um, when you're looking at different um, uh, sensor designs, what you're trying to do is uh, find a sensor technology that will be able to pull the target out from the background um, and, uh, and um, at a greater degree than what they're uh, capable of doing it so that you can reliably you know, detect and, uh, plat- and, and classify it as a target. And uh, so somebody had gone through this math exercise on this given sensor uh, that they were looking at this concept, and they've actually, based on that math exercise, they awarded several multi-million dollar contracts. And um, so I was going through the analysis of the whole package that they had sent uh, supporting their decision, and I'd actually found an error in the math that uh, debunked the whole idea that that was going to work. It wasn't going to give the type of gain that they thought it was going to have. Wow, and so you know, here's this you know twenty-something-year-old kid uh, giving it to these PhDs at Lincoln Lab, and and all of a sudden after that, I was part of the in crowd at that point in time. So <laughs> so, so, so you know, that was just a a, a, fan, a moment where you see acceptance that you know that you, nobody expects you to be there and 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 to contribute, and then all of a sudden you come out and left field with something uh, that um, you know. Uh, and this is, it, you know, contributes to the activity and people recognize it. Um, that, that Moments like that are special and the same thing went on later in life, you know, uh, in terms of, uh, you know, going off and winning contracts that nobody ever expected you to win. Um, you know, when I, when I, late 20s, I went over, opened up a field office uh, down in Fort Walton or, or took over one that was uh, kind of struggling and uh, you expand it, and and one contracts, and other locations outside of that that nobody expected. You know, we'd be at. And, you know just the, the acknowledgement you get with that. That's that's just the, um, even you know. It's a, those are those are precious moments.
0: Yes, they are. But I have to ask. So you're a young kid at 20 something. You find this error in this multi-million dollar potential contract. How, did it cross your mind? not to say anything I mean, where did you find that courage to stand up to these phds and say you know you guys missed it where, where did you how did you manage that
1: well they made it easy you know when they were kind of looking down on us you know <laughs>
0: <I> <laughs> you.
1: At me and, and my counterpart so uh, we, we were kind of glad to send that up
0: <laughs> i love it i love it john as we turn the corner to end this interview John is about to give us some incredible insights, not only for new leaders, but for all of us. So listen in. So I want to ask you, as you think about, and, and we're going to turn the corner and start to wrap this up, and because I know your time is so valuable, but just a couple more questions for you. When you think about aspiring young leaders, regardless if they're engineers, wherever they are uh, across the globe, as they are looking at their lives and they're just out of school or they're just you know in the workforce, but they're they're trying to figure this whole leadership thing out. What are some things you could tell them that would really help them along their leadership journey, you think?
1: Well, I'd say, first of all, uh, as you start this journey, uh, you will be surprised how many people that you will uh, recross um, as you continue over the years. And so the things that you do early in your career are just as important as the things that you do later in your career. Mm. Uh, You know, those impressions that you form uh, I mean, if somebody thinks you're a hard-working honest person uh, then it, they will it, you know they're going to be more likely 20 30 years later to follow you um and, and then you know if you you know or start off as um, you know somebody that's not not very respected by their peers so peer relationships are are, are, are are tremendously important uh and it, it's just amazing Um how many peers I've had early in that 20s, the phase in the 20s, that have gone on to be uh, presidents of major companies, um, you know, um, uh, or, uh, you know, the uh, CIOs um, uh, are, are, you know, are headed major divisions within companies. So, uh, uh, you know, it's 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 so important all along the path that you, you uh, Really put a lot of stake in the, um, a, a lot of equity in the, uh, the relationships mm-hmm. that you build, and, and the relationship that you build with your peers, well, well, you know. And you know, in my current job, you know, um, Bill Rourke and I just didn't happen to each other. Uh, we were uh, counterparts, in, um, in our early 30s, that started and decided, decided that hey, you know, it'd be beneficial if uh, you'd help me out, and I'd help you out, and we had a trusting relationship with no expectations. Um, you know, other than the fact that one calls, the other one would help. Wow. And, you know, you fast forward that on, um, you know, 25 years later, um, you know, this is, you know, this is what you get. And, um, we've got a great work and we're shaping relationship now, but that's rooted in something that goes back decades.
0: My goodness. It, it, that investment is a lifetime experience. John has something else to say, and it's really interesting. In fact. Um, with all the leaders that I have walked with and talked with, um, I'm not sure I've, I've actually ever heard this important leadership characteristic um, articulated just this way. So listen to what the wise turtle says here.
1: The other thing I'd also mention, too, is that, uh, you know, always, you know, first of all, do the job you're, uh, you know, um, that someone has you know assigned you to do. Uh, but as you, you know, start doing that, it never hurts to go a little bit beyond that as well, too. And look, look to be doing it in the way that the, the person, the level above you is working, you know, at working at. And make sure you address the concerns of that individual, at that level above you. And what you'll find out is all of a sudden, you'll just creep your way up until you're an automatic candidate to be, to be at that next level of management above yourself because you are already demonstrated everybody you can operate at that level.
0: Wow. That's another great nugget. So, um, impressions are important. Build those, those relationships early, but when you do a job, figure out what the person above you is wanting and, and work hard to meet that need. Is that what I heard, Just heard you say?
1: Yep, That's absolutely correct. Larry.
0: All right. Now let me ask you this before I let you go. Mm-hmm. Um, what's next for John? In this season of your life, I know you're at this pinnacle of your your career and, and leading a tremendous organization. Um, just from a personal standpoint, what are you what are you thinking?
1: Well, you know, one of the, uh, the key things that uh, is important to me, uh, both personally and professionally, is that um, you know, we really want to make um, a Torch a, a sustaining um, a company that doesn't have to be forced to be sold out, sold to somebody else and the culture have to change in order to be able to you know continue to grow or to meet meet our obligations mm. and um, so we're we're working hard here in terms of uh, you know uh, uh, you know vectoring the business in a way so it's uh, it's sustainable as a mid-tier company um, which is a very difficult area these days in the defense industry to be you know, to, to remain independent in uh, but uh, also, we want to make sure that you know, we sustain the culture and that we've got uh, you know, a lot of leaders that next generation behind us that are, are, are you know, prepared to step up and take you know, the roles that they need to, to be able to, to keep it going And when, uh, you know, when Bill and I end up going, going home, go to the house.
0: Notice that John is not talking about John. He's talking about the company. He's talking about future leaders. He's talking about sustaining the culture as all great leaders. Uh, John is, is exemplifying here that leadership is not about the leader. It's about those that he leads. Uh, just another reminder of, of great servant leadership attitude.
1: I think the um, uh, other things we're you know, looking at too is making sure um, our, you know, we've got the proper workforce uh, coming in to go for the next generation. And we're starting to work a lot with the university systems as well in terms of developing relationships um, and as, uh, as an outreach uh, to get the feeder on, on the talent that we need. Um, so mm-hmm. we're trying, So if I kind of try to wrap it all up with the, what, what my central uh, drive these days is really would be in the area of sustainment. Mm-hmm. You know, so I, I kind of like we've made, uh, you know, we're happy with what, what we got and uh, very happy we got it, but we're not just looking to try to cash out and, and go to the house. You know, we're look, looking to try to set something up so that the next generation can, you know, they can take it forward.
0: Wow, building that foundation that, that you've, you know, you built something great, and to sustain that so that the next generation can carry it forth—that's a, that's a John vision. That sounds like that sounds like a John Watson vision right there. So,
1: well, John, it's a management team vision, and we got a lot of people that you know on the management team, you know, really uh, ascribe to that thought.
0: Well, I know they do, and you have led that culture, and and, uh, as always, in a very humble nature, and uh, I thank you for that, and you do have a tremendous management team uh, around you, and it's what all great leaders do, but you are um, a man who leads from his heart and from his head. You truly care about your people, and that overflowed in your your comments today and, and about people that you have invested in professionally uh, and personally. Thanks for giving us your time, for sharing your heart. Uh, Thank you for crossing the line in your leadership. And uh, I want you to know you truly are are making a difference. Thanks for being with us today. Thank you, Larry. Well, that was an interview with a servant leader. Uh, That's what a servant leader uh, sounds like. That's who he is. He exemplifies that with his life. Uh, Truly tons of, of leadership nuggets from John Watson. I hope that you found this podcast to be helpful. I know I certainly did, and I want to thank you for listening to Crossing the Line. Make sure you check us out at EagleCenterForLeadership.com and uh, check out our our website, check out uh, our other podcasts. We have podcasts with leaders from across this country uh, who lead with their head and their heart, who choose to cross the line to make a difference. Hey, thank you so much for being with us. We'll look forward to uh, seeing you again on our next episode of Crossing the Line in order to make a difference.